Chapter six of Your United States by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Sport and the Theatre. I remember thinking, long before I came to the United States, at the time when the anti gambling bill was a leading topic of American correspondence in European newspapers, that a state whose public opinion would allow even the discussion of a regulation so drastic could not possibly regard sport as sport is regarded in europe it might be very fond of gambling but it could not be afflicted with the particular mania which in europe amounts to a passion if not to a religion and when the project became law and horse-racing was most beneficially and admirably abolished in the northeastern portion of the republic i was astonished no such law could be passed in any european country that i knew the populace would not suffer it the small intelligent minority would not care enough to support it and the wealthy oligarchical priest patrons of sport would be seriously convinced that it involved the ruin of true progress and the end of all things such is the sacredness of sport in europe where governments audacious enough to attack and overthrow the state church have never dared to suggest the suppression of the vice by which alone the main form of sport lives so that i did not expect to find the united states a very sporting country and i did not so find it i do not wish to suggest that in my opinion there is no sport in the united states but only that there is somewhat less than in western europe as i have already indicated the difference between one civilization and another are always slight though they are invariably exaggerated by rumour i know that the sporting instinct a curious combination of the various instincts for fresh air destruction physical prowess emulation devotion and betting is tolerably strong in america i could name a list of american sports as long as the list of dutiable articles in the customs tariff i am aware that over a million golf balls are bought and chiefly lost in the united states every year i know that no residence there is complete without its lawn tennis court i accept the statement that its hunting is unequalled i have admired the luxury and completeness of its country clubs its yachting is renowned its horse-shows, to which enthusiasts repair in automobiles, are wondrous displays of fashion. But none of these things is democratic. None enters into the life of the mass of the people. Nor can that fierce sport be called quite democratic, which depends exclusively upon and is limited to the universities. A six-day cycling contest and a presidential election are, of course, among the very greatest sporting events in the world, but they do not occur often enough to merit consideration as constant factors of national existence. Baseball remains a formidable item, yet scarcely capable of balancing the scale against the sports, football, cricket, racing, pelota, bullfighting, which in Europe impassion the common people and draw most of their champions from the common people. In Europe, the advertisement hoardings, especially in the provinces, proclaim sport throughout every month of the year. Not so in America. 
in europe the most important daily news is still the sporting news as any editor will tell you not so in america despite the gigantic headings of the evening papers at certain seasons but how mighty nevertheless is baseball its fame floats through europe as something prodigious incomprehensible romantic and terrible after being entertained at early lunch in the correct hotel for this kind of thing i was taken in a state of great excitement by a group of excited businessmen and flashed through central park in an express automobile to one of the great championship games i noted the excellent arrangements for dealing with feverish multitudes i noted the splendid and ornate spaciousness of the grandstand crowned with innumerable eagles and the calm matter-of-fact tone in which a friend informed me that the grandstand had been burned down six months ago i noted the dreadful prominence of advertisements and particularly of that one which announced the three-dollar hat with the five-dollar look all very european it was pleasant to be convinced in such large letters that even shrewd america is not exempt from that universal human naivete which is ready to believe that in some magic emporium a philanthropist is always waiting to give five dollars worth of goods in exchange for three dollars of money then i braced my intelligence to an understanding of the game which thanks to its classical simplicity and to some training in the finesse of cricket and football i did soon grasp in its main outlines a beautiful game superbly played we reckon to know something of ball games in europe we reckon to be connoisseurs and the old footballer and cricketer in me came away from that immense enclosure convinced that baseball was a game of the very first class and that those players were the most finished exponents of it i was informed that during the winter the players condescended to follow the law and other liberal professions but judging from their apparent importance in the public eye i should not have been surprised to learn that during the winter they condescended to be speakers of the house of representatives or governors of states it was a relief to know that in the matter of expenses they were treated more liberally than the ambassadors of the republic they seemed to have carried the art of pitching a ball to a more wondrous degree of perfection than it has ever been carried in cricket the absolute certitude of the fielding and accuracy of the throwing was profoundly impressive to a connoisseur only in a certain lack of elegance in gesture and in the unshaven dowdiness of the ground on which it was played could this game be said to be inferior to the noble spectacle of cricket in broad dramatic quality i would place it above cricket and on a level with association football in short i at once became an enthusiast for baseball for nine innings i watched it with interest unabated until a vast purple shadow creeping gradually eastward had obscurely veiled the sublime legend of the three-dollar hat with the five-dollar look i began to acquire the proper cries and shouts and menaces and to pass comments on the play which i was assured were not utterly foolish in my honest yearning to feel myself a habitué i did what everybody else did and even attacked a morsel of chewing-gum 
but all that a european can say of this singular substance is that it is finally eternal and unconquerable one slip i did quite innocently make i rose to stretch myself after the sixth inning instead of halfway through the seventh happily a friend with marked presence of mind pulled me down to my seat again before i had had time fully to commit this horrible sacrilege when the game was finished i surged on to the enormous ground and was informed by inerring experts of a few of the thousand subtle tactical points which i had missed and lastly i was flung up on to the elevated platform littered with pieces of newspaper and through a landscape of slovenly apartment houses punctuated by glimpses of tremendous quantities of drying linen i was shot out of new york toward a calm weekend yes a grand game a game entirely worthy of its reputation if the professional matador and gladiator business is to be carried on at all a better exemplification of it than baseball offers could hardly be found or invented but the beholding crowd and the behaviour of the crowd somewhat disappointed me my friends said with intense pride that forty thousand persons were present the estimate proved to be an exaggeration but even had it not been what is forty thousand to the similar crowds in europe in europe forty thousand people will often assemble to watch an ordinary football match and for a final the record stands at something over a hundred thousand it should be remembered too in forming the comparison that many people in the eastern states frequent the baseball grounds because they have been deprived of their horse racing further the new york crowd though fairly excited was not excited as sporting excitement is understood in for instance the five towns the cheering was good but it was not the cheering of frenzied passion the anathemas though hearty lacked that religious sincerity which a truly sport-loving populace will always put into them the prejudice in favor of the home team the cruel frank unfairness toward the visiting team were both insufficiently accentuated the menaces were merely infantile i inquired whether the referee or umpire or whatever the arbiter is called in america ever went in danger of life or limb or had to be protected from a homicidal public by the law in uniform and i was shocked by a negative answer referees in europe have been smuggled off the ground in the centre of a cocoon of policemen have even been known to spend a fortnight in bed after giving a decision adverse to the home team more evidence that the united states is not in the full sense a sporting country of the psychology of the great common multitude of baseball bleachers i learned almost nothing but as regards the world of success and luxury which of course held me a more willing captive firmly in its soft and powerful influence throughout my stay i should say that there was an appreciable amount of self-hypnotism in its attitude toward baseball as if the thriving and preoccupied businessman murmured to his soul when the proper time came by the way these baseball championships are approaching it is right and good for me that i should be boyishly excited and i will be excited i must not let my interest in baseball die let's look at the sporting page and see how things stand 
and i'll have to get tickets too hence possibly what seemed to me a superficiality and factitiousness in the excitement of the more expensive seats and a too rapid effervescence and finish of the excitement when the game was over the high fever of inter-university football struck me as a more authentic phenomenon indeed a university town in the throes of an important match offers a psychological panorama whose genuineness can scarcely be doubted here the youngest men communicate the sacred contagion to their elders and they also communicate it to the young women who in turn communicate it to the said elders and possibly the indirect method is the surer i visited a university town in order to witness a match of the highest importance unfortunately and yet fortunately my whole view of it was affected by a mere nothing a trifle which the newspapers dealt with in two lines when i reached the gates of the arena in the morning to get a glimpse of a freshman's match an automobile was standing thereat in the automobile was a pile of rugs and sticking out of the pile of rugs in an odd unnatural horizontal way was a pair of muddy football boots these boots were still on the feet of a boy but all the rest of his unconscious and smashed body was hidden beneath the rugs the automobile vanished and so did my peace of mind it seemed to me tragic that that burly infant under the rugs should have been martyrized at a poor little morning match in front of a few sparse hundreds of spectators and tens of thousands of unresponsive empty benches he had not had even the glory and meed of a great multitude's applause when i last inquired about him at the end of the day he was still unconscious and that was all that could be definitely said of him one heard that it was his features that had chiefly suffered in the havoc that he had been defaced if i had not happened to see those muddy football boots sticking out i should have heard vaguely of the accident and remarked philosophically that it was a pity but that accidents would occur and there would have been the end of my impression only i just did happen to see those muddy boots sticking out when we came away from the freshman's match the charming roads of the town bordered by trees and by the agreeable architecture of mysterious clubs were beginning to be alive and dangerous with automobiles and carriages and pretty girls and proud men and flags and flowers and colored favors and shoutings salutes were being exchanged at every yard the sense of a mighty and culminating event sharpened the air the great inn was full of jollity and excitement and the reception clerks thereof had the negligent mien of those who know that every bedroom is taken and every table booked the club not one of the mysterious ones but an ingenuous plain club of patriarchs who had once been young in the university and were now defying time was crammed with amiable confusion and its rich carpets protected for the day against the feet of bald lads who kept aimlessly walking upstairs and downstairs and from room to room out of mere friendly exuberance 
and after the inn and the club i was conducted into a true american home where the largest and most free hospitality was being practised upon a footing of universal intimacy you ate standing you ate sitting you ate walking the length of the long table you ate at one small table and then you ate at another you talked at random to strangers behind and strangers before and when you couldn't think of anything to say you just smiled inclusively you knew scarcely anybody's name but the heart of everybody impossible to be ceremonious when a young woman bluntly inquired the significance of that faraway look in your eye impossible not to reply frankly that you were dreaming of a second helping of a marvellous pie up there at the end of the long table and impossible not to eat all the three separate second helpings that were instantly thrust upon you the chatter and the good nature were enormous this home was an expression of the democracy of the university at its best fraternity was abroad kindliness was abroad and therefore joy whatever else was taught at the university these were taught and they were learnt if a publicist asked me what american civilization had achieved i would answer that among other things it had achieved this hour in this modest home occasionally a face would darken and a voice grow serious exposing the terrible secret apprehensions based on expert opinion that the home side could not win but the cloud would pass and occasionally there would be a reference to the victim whose muddy boots i had seen dreadful isn't it and a twinge of compassion for the victim or for his mother but the cloud would immediately pass and then we all had to leave for none must be laid on this solemn and gay occasion and now the roads were so many converging torrents of automobiles and carriages and excitement had developed into fever life was at its highest and the world held but one problem sign that reaction was approaching a proud spectacle for the agitated vision when the vast business of filling the stands had been accomplished and the eye ranged over acres of black hats and variegated hats hats flowered and feathered and plain mail caps a carpet intricately patterned with the rival colors at a signal the mimic battle began and in a moment occurred the first casualty most grave of a series of casualties a pale hero with a useless limb was led off the field amid loud cheers then it was that i became aware of some dozens of supplementary heroes shivering beneath brilliant blankets under the lee of the stands in this species of football every casualty was foreseen and the rules allowed it to be repaired not two teams but two regiments were in fact fighting and my european ideal of sport was offended was it possible that a team could be permitted to replace a wounded man by another and so on ad infinitum was it possible that a team need not abide by its misfortunes well it was i did not like this it seemed to me that the organizers forgetting that this was a mimic battle had made it into a real battle and that there was an imperfect appreciation of what strictly amateur sport is 
the desire to win laudable and essential in itself may by excessive indulgence become a morbid obsession surely i thought and still think the means ought to suit the end an enthusiast for american organization i was nevertheless forced to conclude that here organization is being carried too far outraging the sense of proportion and of general fitness for me such organization disclosed even a misapprehension as to the principal aim and purpose of a university if ever the fate of the republic should depend on the result of football matches then such organization would be justifiable and courses of intellectual study might properly be suppressed until that dread hour i would be inclined to dwell heavily on the admitted fact that a football match is not waterloo but simply a transient game in which two sets of youngsters bump up against one another in opposing endeavors to put a bouncing toy on two different spots of the earth's surface the ultimate location of the inflated bauble will not affect the national destiny and such moral value as the game has will not be increased but diminished by any enlargement of organization after all if the brains of the world gave themselves exclusively to football matches the efficiency of football matches would be immensely improved but what then i seem to behold on this field the american passion for getting results which i admire very much but it occurred to me that that passion with its eyes fixed hungrily on the result it wants may sometimes fail to see that it is getting a number of other results which it emphatically does not want another example of excessive organization presented itself to me in the almost military arrangements for shrieking the official yells i was sorry for the young men whose duty it was by the aid of megaphones and of grotesque and undignified contortions to encourage and even force the spectators to emit in unison the complex noises which constitute the yell i have no doubt that my pity was misdirected for these young men were obviously content with themselves still i felt sorry for them assuming for an instant that the official yell is not monstrously absurd and surpassingly ugly admitting that it is a beautiful series of sounds enheartening noble an utterance worthy of a great and ancient university at a crisis even then one is bound to remember that its essential quality should be its spontaneity enthusiasm cannot be created at the word of command nor can heroes be inspired by cheers artificially produced under megaphonic intimidation indeed no moral phenomenon could be less hopeful to heroes than a perfunctory response to a military order for enthusiasm perfunctory responses were frequent partly no doubt because the imperious young men with megaphones would not leave us alone just when we were nicely absorbed in the caprices of the ball they would call us off and compel us to execute their preposterous chorus and we the spectators did not always like it and the difficulty of following the game was already acute enough whenever the play quickened in interest we stood up in fact we were standing up and sitting down throughout the afternoon 
and as we all stood up and we all sat down together nobody gained any advantage from these muscular exercises we saw no better and we saw no worse toward the end we stood on the seats with the same result we behaved in exactly the childlike manner of an italian audience at a fashionable concert and to crown all an aviator had the ineffably bad taste and the culpable foolhardiness to circle round and round within a few dozen yards of our heads in spite of all this the sum of one's sensations amounted to lively pleasure the pleasure would have been livelier if university football were a better game than in candid truth it is at this juncture i seemed to hear a million voices of students and ex-students roaring out at me with menaces that the game is perfect and the greatest of all games a national game always was and is perfect this particular game was perfect years ago nevertheless i learned that it had recently been improved in deference to criticisms therefore it is now pluperfect i was told on the field and sharply that experience of it was needed for the proper appreciation of its finesse admitted but just as devotees of a favourite author will put sublime significance into his least phrase so will devotees of a game put marvels of finesse into its clumsiest features the process is psychological i was new to this particular game but i had been following various footballs with my feet or with my eyes for some thirty years and i was not to be bullied out of my opinion that the american university game though goodish lacked certain virtues its characteristics tend ever to a too close formation and inevitably favor tedium and monotony in some aspects an unemotional critic might occasionally be tempted to call it naive and barbaric but i was not unemotional i recognized and in my own person i proved that as a vehicle for emotion the american university game will serve what else is such a game for in the match i witnessed there were some really great moments and one or two masterly exhibitions of skill and force and as my side won against all odds i departed in a state of felicity if the great cities of the east and middle west are not strikingly sportive perhaps the reason is that they are impassioned theatre-goers they could not well be both at any rate without neglecting the financial pursuits which are their chief real amusement and hobby i mention the theatres in connection with sports rather than in connection with the arts because the american drama is more closely related to sporting diversions than to dramatic art if this seems a hard saying i will add that i am ready to apply it with similar force to the english and french drama and indeed to almost all modern drama outside germany it was astonishing to me that america unhampered by english traditions should take seriously for instance the fashionable and utterly meretricious french dramatists who receive nothing but a chilly ridicule from people of genuine discrimination in paris 
whatever american dramatists have to learn they will not learn it in paris and i was charmed once to hear a popular new york playwright one who sincerely and frankly wrote for money alone assert boldly that the notoriously successful french plays were bad and clumsily bad it was a proof of taste as a rule one finds the popular playwright taking off his hat to contemporaries who at best are no better than his equals a few minor cases apart the drama is artistically negligible throughout the world but if there is a large hope for it in any special country that country is the united states the extraordinary prevalence of big theatres the quickly increasing number of native dramatists the enormous profits of the successful ones it is simply inconceivable in the face of the phenomena and of the educational process so rapidly going on that serious and first-class creative artists shall not arise in america nothing is more likely to foster the production of first-class artists than the existence of a vast machinery for winning money and glory when i reflect that there are nearly twice as many first-class theatres in new york as in london and that a very successful play in new york plays to eighteen thousand dollars a week while in london ten thousand dollars a week is enormous and that the american public has a preference for its own dramatists i have little fear for the artistic importance of the drama of the future in america and from the discrepancy between my own observations and the observations of a reliable european critic in new york only five years ago i should imagine that appreciable progress had already been made though i will not pretend that i was much impressed by the achievements up to date either of playwrights actors or audiences a huge popular institution however such as the american theatrical system is always interesting to the amateur of human nature the first thing noted by the curious stranger in american theatres is that american theatrical architects have made a great discovery namely that every member of the audience goes to the play with a desire to be able to see and hear what passes on the stage this happy american discovery has not yet announced itself in europe where in almost every theatre seats are impudently sold and idiotically bought from which it is impossible to see and hear what passes on the stage a remarkable continent europe apart from this most important point american theatres are not either without or within very attractive the auditoriums to a european have a somewhat dingy air which air is no doubt partly due to the non-existence of a rule in favour of evening dress never again shall i gird against the rule in europe but it is due also to the oddly inefficient illumination during the entr'actes and to the unsatisfactory schemes of decoration the interior of a theatre ought to be magnificent suggesting pleasure luxury and richness it ought to create an illusion of rather riotous grandeur the rare architects who have understood this seem to have lost their heads about it with such wild and capricious results as the new opera house in philadelphia i could not restrain my surprise that the inhabitants of the quaker city had not arisen with pickaxes and raised this architectural extravaganza to the ground 
but philadelphia is a city startlingly unlike its european reputation throughout my too brief sojourn in it i did not cease to marvel at its liveliness i heard more picturesque and pyrotechnic wit at one luncheon in philadelphia than at any two repasts outside it the spacious gaiety and lavishness of its marts enchanted me it must have a pretty weakness for the most costly old books and manuscripts i never was nearer breaking the sixth commandment than in one of its homes where the countess of pembroke's own copy of sir philip sidney's arcadia a unique and utterly unquakerish treasure was laid trustfully in my hands by the regretted and charming harry widener to return the metropolitan opera house in new york is a much more satisfactory example of a theatrical interior indeed it is very fine especially when strung from end to end of its first tier with pearls as i saw it impossible to find fault with its mundane splendour and let me urge that impeccable mundane splendour despite facile arguments to the contrary is a very real and worthy achievement it is regrettable by the way that the entrances and foyers to these grandiose interiors should be so paltry slatternly and inadequate if the entrances to the great financial establishments reminded me of opera houses the entrance to opera houses did not artistically of course the spectacle of a grand opera season in an american city is just as humiliating as it is in the other anglo-saxon country it was disconcerting to see latin or german opera given exactly with no difference at all same latin or german artists and conductors same conventions same tricks in new york or philadelphia as in europe and though the wealthy audiences behaved better than wealthy audiences at covent garden perhaps because the boxes are less like enclosed pews than in london it was mortifying to detect the secret disdain for art which was expressed in the listless late arrivings and the relieved early departures the which disdain for art was however i am content to think as not in comparison with the withering artistic disdain felt and sometimes revealed by those latin and german artists for anglo-saxon philistinism i seem to be able to read the sarcastic souls of these accomplished and sensitive aliens when they assure newspaper reporters that new york chicago boston philadelphia and london are really musical the sole test of a musical public is that it should be capable of self-support i mean that it should produce a school of creative and executive artists of its own whom it likes well enough to idolize and to enrich and whom the rest of the world will respect this is a test which can be safely applied to germany russia italy and france and in certain other arts it is a test which can be applied to anglo-saxondom but not in music in america and england music is still mainly a sportive habit when i think of the exoticism of grand opera in new york my mind at once turns in contrast to the natural raciness of such modest creations as those offered by mr george cohen at his theatre on broadway 
here in an extreme degree you get a genuine instance of a public demand producing the desired artist on the spot here is something really and honestly and respectably american and why it should be derided by even the most lofty pillars of american taste i cannot imagine or rather i can imagine quite well for myself i spent a very agreeable evening in witnessing the little millionaire i was perfectly conscious of the blatancy of the methods that achieved it i saw in it no mark of genius but i did see in it a very various talent and an all-round efficiency and beneath the blatancy an admirable direct simplicity and winning unpretentiousness i liked the ingenuity of the device by which in the words of the programme the action of act two was not interrupted by musical numbers the dramatic construction of this act was so consistently clever and right and effective that more ambitious dramatists might study it with advantage another point though the piece was artistically vulgar it was not vulgar otherwise it contained no slightest trace of the outrageous salicity and sottishness which disfigure the great majority of successful musical comedies it was an honest entertainment but to me its chief value and interest lay in the fact that while watching it i felt that i was really in new york and not in vienna paris or london of the regular theatre i did not see nearly enough to be able to generalize even for my own private satisfaction i observed and expected to observe that the most reactionary quarters were the most respected it is the same everywhere when a manager having discovered that two real clocks in one real room never strike simultaneously put two real clocks on the stage and made one strike after the other or when a manager mimicked with extraordinary effects of restlessness a life-sized telephone exchange on the stage then was i bound to hear of artistic realism and a fine production but such feats of truthfulness do not consort well with chocolate sentimentalities and wilful falsities of action and dialogue they caused me to doubt whether i was not in london the problem plays which i saw were just as futile and exasperating as the commercial english and french varieties of the problem play though they had a trifling advantage over the english in that their most sentimental passages were lightened by humour and the odiously insincere felicity of their conclusions was left to the imagination instead of being acted ruthlessly out on the boards the themes of these plays showed the usual obsessions and were manipulated in the usual attempt to demonstrate that the way of transgressors is not so very hard after all they threw all unconsciously strange sidelights on the american man's private estimate of the american woman and the incidence of the applause was extremely instructive the most satisfactory play that i saw bought and paid for by george broadhurst was not a problem play though mr broadhurst is also a purveyor of problem plays it was just an unpretentious fairy tale about the customary millionaire and the customary poor girl 
the first act was maladroit but the others made me think that bought and paid for was one of the best popular commercial anglo-saxon plays i had ever seen anywhere there were touches of authentic realism at the very crisis at which experience had taught one to expect a crass sentimentality the fairy tale was well told with some excellent characterization and very well played indeed mr frank craven's rendering of the incompetent clerk was a masterly and unforgettable piece of comedy i enjoyed bought and paid for and it is on the faith of such plays imperfect and timid as they are that i establish my prophecy of a more glorious hereafter for the american drama End of chapter 6